Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and excited for today's guest with Jeff Price, Chief Commercial Officer of the PGA of America, and excited to just talk a little bit about his journey, his path into the industry. Uh, we'll talk about uh, coming from Maine in college and uh, ultimately a Bates College grad. Uh, Jeff will share a little bit of his insights into the partnerships world as he's had quite a few experiences across uh, multiple parts of the industry and uh, we'll dive right in. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, great. Great to join you, Jake, and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. And, and let's just start out with where your journey started. Did you ever, you know, high school, before that, college, did you ever think you were going to work in sports? I, I got a note that you had the American history uh, degree in, in, in undergrad. I did. I was an American history major. Um, and, and I was a football player at Bates. And I think I, you know, clearly kind of had, had thought about the future and I think had contemplated both the coaching side of, of the business uh, and kind of the, the, the business side of sports. And my senior year uh, applied to 30 different NBA teams uh, looking for, uh, I guess, teams across all sports, but, but a majority of NBA teams, including both the, uh, uh, the Heat and the Magic, who were coming into the league, and uh, had 30 rejections. And uh, ultimately recognized that I didn't have a network. My parents were great, both teachers, but didn't really have any entry points into, into the sports world. And, uh, you know, decided to work for a year uh, save some money and then, you know, go back and try and get a master's degree and applied to a higher university and the University of Massachusetts and ultimately elected uh, to go through UMass and had a, a really terrific experience. And I think, you know, one of the key factors that, that I point to in terms of the, the map and the, the success that I've been able to have in the organizations that I've joined has been having great mentors. And my first mentor at UMass was uh, Professor Glenn Wong. And uh, Glenn remains a great friend today and somebody that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm now an advisory board member. He's out at the Arizona State University program. Um, but, but the importance of mentor relationships and folks that can kind of help you as you're making key decisions. And, and Glenn was one of the first of, of a few who, who really helped to shape my career. And the, and the UMass experience was both great educationally, but also opened the door to an internship opportunity at the NBA uh, in, in 1989. And um, that, that really kind of was the springboard. Uh, and it's ironic, I, I still have those 30 letters of rejection today. And uh, I think about half of the folks who sent the rejection letter, I've now either become you know, colleagues with or, or have friendships with, um, you know, kind of over the course of a 30 plus year career. So. Uh, it was a really important step to go through UMass, take all of the kind of educational value that the, the American history major and the, the ability to think critically and write and communicate. Um, but ultimately that combined with UMass was kind of what jump-started uh, my entry into, uh, into the sports business. You know, it's funny to, that you have that ability to look back at those 30 rejection letters. You know, Bates College, no joke on the academic scale either. Did you, you know, was Harvard, Yale, like were any of those on your radar at the time? And did you go through a similar experience on the recruiting trail from a, being a student athlete? 
So uh, my junior year, I was a quarterback uh, for three years in high school. <clears throat> and through my junior year, uh, I was uh, kind of recruited at the 1AA level. So, um, you know, the Dartmouth and Harvards and, and others. I uh, got hurt my junior year and my senior year kind of realized that I was probably going to be more of a D3 athlete. And um, ironically, made the decision to go to Bates. And my high school principal, who I actually had as a middle school principal and high school, invited me into his office in late April and said, hey, I've got an interesting opportunity. The Dartmouth has a need for more New Hampshire students to attend. Are you interested? And I said, well, I just don't think I can play football there. And he, uh, his comment was, you know, I've been with you for six years and I thought you were reasonably smart. That may have been the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, but ultimately I stayed committed to Bates and, uh, you know, had a very interesting experience there and had a couple, un unfortunately, a couple more injuries, including blowing out a knee. But, um, you know, the importance of playing team sports and, and being a part of that environment is something I still cherish to this day. And, uh, you know, certainly all of those experiences that you have um, can pay dividends down the line. And, and I certainly believe that uh, as it related to my experiences as a student athlete, and then ultimately moving on to the business side. Yeah, no, I, even being a former college baseball player, regardless of the sport, you know, I think just the sheer competitiveness uh, and, and the lessons you learn uh, going through in, in injuries, you know, similar to someone like yourself, I think, you know, everyone wants to win and, and hold up the trophy. But I think at the end of the day, those injuries, no matter how bad they are, uh, they probably almost teach you better lessons uh, in the long run. And, and it's always tough at the, at the time. But you, when you look back, you're like, yeah, well, I probably wasn't going anywhere anyways. So, you know, maybe the injury was for the best. Um, yeah, the toughest thing I learned, Jake, was uh, walking around with a full leg cast that's locked on crutches for six months in the main snow can certainly build your upper body strength, if, if nothing else. Well, you know, at that point, you maybe you go into like major league arm wrestling or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's, there's, there's always opportunities. Uh, you know, you mentioned your internship in the NBA office, and I'm sure there's plenty of people that we've had on this podcast, Bernie Mullen, Rick Waltz. I'm sure there's a, a few that you worked with at your tenure there. Um, you know, talk a little bit about the experience of going into an internship and then how to, how you ultimately launch that experience into the next thing? Yeah, great, great question. Um, our internship at that time included both undergrads and grad students. And the core of the internship was working in the PR department. And each day before Sports Business Daily was ever created, the NBA had a process where we as interns cut out stories from newspapers and magazines, put them together and created a, a clips report that went to all the key executives in the NBA. And that's how I actually got to know a number of the folks, including Rick Welts and Paula Hansen, who had played a major role in, in my time at the NBA. Um, but what, what I did when I was there was kind of took leadership of the team and said, look, if we get this thing done by noon, we then have an opportunity to do more work and learn from others because we have time. And you know, I think historically it kind of was, it took all day to put, put it together and then it would get distributed at the end of the day. We turned it into, let's get it done by noon, distribute it, and then offer our services up to other departments that need help, either the PR department or, you know, across the, across the organization. And it really created an opportunity to do work on some projects and get to know folks. And when I finished the internship, 
I flew out west and, and had a session that was incredibly powerful uh, with Todd Lewicki, who obviously has gone on to, to have great success, but was running marketing and sales for, for the Warriors. And we sat down and, and I said, look, I've got a job opportunity in the licensing department, but I'm not really focused that that's where I want to go. I, I'm much more interested in the team and the marketing side. Um, and so I'm not sure what to do. And he said, well, turn them down. And I said, well, no one's ever turned down an internship offer from an internship into an employment offer. And he said, well, I think you should do it. You should go after what you want. And uh, I think he put a couple of calls in and, and ultimately ended up working for Paula Hansen in what is now Teambo, but uh, was then the team services department. And uh, you know, I'll never forget that kind of, I didn't personally have the confidence to say no, but with, with Todd's influence and ability to kind of help me think through it, you know, ended up putting me into the group that I worked in for, you know, almost four and a half years, had a tremendous experience, and then ultimately was recruited to go uh, to work for Gatorade on the partner side who, you know, had a long relationship with the NBA. Um, but it was, I think that, that turning point coming off the internship, um, really looking for what I wanted to learn about and to grow into from a career perspective and having the, the confidence to ultimately turn something down to get what was really what, what I was focused against. Um, I was fortunate, as I mentioned, both Paula and Rick were tremendous mentors and, and helpful in me kind of seeing what the opportunities would be and, and ultimately kind of giving me again the confidence of a you know, small town kid from New Hampshire trying to make it in New York. Um, it can be challenging and, and they both you know, instilled in me a belief in, in A, what the NBA was about and, and B, that, uh, you know, if I put my mind to it and worked hard, um, you know, there were, there were going to be opportunities in the future. And that was, that was incredibly powerful. Got to Gatorade and, uh, you know, learned a ton from Bill Schmidt, who obviously is an icon in the sports marketing world, and really got what I would call my brand MBA uh, from Sue Wellington, who was running the Gatorade brand at the time. Uh, and, you know, those two early experiences with, with great kind of leadership and, and ultimately, you know, to be around someone like David Stern, uh, I was employee, I think, number 105 in the organization. You know, still today, still to this day, you know, those leaders have meant a tremendous amount in terms of how they led, how they ran teams, and, and certainly folks that I look up to uh, with, with great admiration and thanks for them leaning in and, and helping me along the way. Yeah, and, and you mentioned your experience at Gatorade, which then kind of sprung you into uh, some different opportunities, whether it be MasterCard and, and others kind of in the future. Um, but let's just talk about the partnerships realm as a whole, because being a part of Teambo, that's obviously a large part of it, uh, you know, in, a, in conjunction with ticket sales and, and all that sort of stuff. But from the partnerships perspective, what was the experience like you know, you mentioned your, M, you know, your MBA and a brand. Uh, what was the experience like getting kind of to see the other side of the coin in a sense um, to then whatever was after for you, you're able to now have kind of both lenses per se. Yeah, and I think it's, it was really important to have both. Um, and I think I still at times, you know, th there are a number of folks in the industry who will sell things for the sake of selling and not necessarily thinking through what is the partner need? How do you maximize the return that they're going to receive? Um, and, and ultimately, 
what I saw from the Gatorade portfolio is, is deep personal relationships on both the business side and with the team trainers, you know, the relationships that Bill Schmidt crafted with those trainers, you still see today the power of that on the sidelines of the NFL and the NBA um, in terms of the loyalty that the trainers had to the organization and the support that was there. Um, but it was really always kind of what's in it for the property and how can we help the property to achieve their goals while we're achieving, you know, at the time of Gatorade, certainly the dominant position uh, that they had in the category and, and a growth mindset that uh, was going to last, you know, for many, many years and still to this day, the dominant player in the category. And so it, it, it certainly sitting on both sides and seeing partnerships that worked, partnerships that worked over time. You know, I'm still incredibly proud that that deal that we negotiated at MasterCard, the first year of that MLB relationship, uh, where, you know, the father-son priceless commercial was kind of the impetus to putting a deal together. You know, MLB and MasterCard still have that relationship today, you know, 23 years later. And, you know, the, the strength of powerful relationships that last over time is something that I don't think everyone understands how important those are. You know, we just announced at the PGA of America that uh, we've renewed our agreement with Pepsi and they, they're stepping up into the Ryder Cup. And when that deal is done, it'll be 30 years of a relationship between PepsiCo inclusive at that point in time, it was Gatorade um, and, and the PGA of America. And those are the kind of relationships that over time, you know, have an impact and you're able to you know, the, the, the one and done relationships sometimes look great on the scorecard or perhaps, you know, the revenue that's associated with it. But to me, the, the deals that are the most important in the fabric of this industry are those that, that stand the test of time. And I think I learned, you know, from a Bill Schmidt who was very sophisticated and savvy negotiator, but also wanted to make sure that there was a win-win scenario for the property and, and the brand that those are the best relationships to build. And those are the ones that will have the greatest impact on organizations um, and ultimately, you know, drive success, no matter how, what metrics you're going to look to measure. And so to me, you know, that experience on the league side and then, you know, between Gatorade and MasterCard on the brand side really has kind of I think, been the underpinning of how I think about relationships in this space and how partnerships matter. And it's, it's those that, that, that can stand the test of time and really deliver a win-win for, for both sides. Well, and, and one interesting question for you in regards to the partnerships piece is that, you know, you mentioned MasterCard 23, 23 years, Pepsi 30 years. The people behind those partnerships are not staying there that entire time, right? You mentioned you started the MasterCard deal. Well, you're not at MLB or MasterCard anymore. So there's got to be nuances within these partnerships that that keep them going right and how do you pass almost the baton off from you know relationship stakeholder to relationship stakeholder right to where that can continue and you continue to build upon success and the strategy in which it was it was going down yeah jake i, I think that's a great question and i think that the point is if the first relationship is done in a win-win mentality and there's a real understanding of look, here are the property's objectives. You know, at the time MLB was coming off the strike and they needed storytelling in a meaningful way to get consumers re-energized and excited about Major League Baseball. 
And MasterCard was the challenger brand. And for MasterCard to have an association with a property like MLB raised its profile. And, and we had the foundation of a relationship that I know has evolved over time, but we, we both came at it from that idea of it being a win-win. And I think th those are, if you go into those relationships and the first deal is done on a strong foundation, then as things evolve on either side, the property or the brand, um, it's easy for those that follow later into those partnerships to continue to evolve the relationship because it's based on trust. It's based on a foundation that is a win-win. And ultimately, you know, there's an understanding that these are not, you know, you're going to do, you might do a three-year deal, you might do a five-year deal, a 10-year deal, but at some point there's going to be a need to continue to build the relationship and grow the relationship based on what the priorities are of, of the organizations at that point in time when those contracts come up for renewal. But, but it's, down, it's founded again in trust, in a, in a commonality, in a win-win that allows for those to grow over time. And that same principle applies to those of the Glen Wongs and the Todd Loweckis and the people that you've created those relationships with as well, right? It's regardless of if it's a property and a, and a brand, just from person to person, it's also the same way, right? It's 100%. Um, you know, I've had, as I mentioned, a 30-plus year relationship um, with Glenn. Uh, you know, Rick has obviously, Rick Welts has gone on to amazing things with the Warriors, and, and we get to check in from time to time. And, um, you know, he's somebody I have so much respect for. Um, you know, Todd has done amazing things and obviously spent time at the NFL, now back launching a new, new hockey brand after his success down in Tampa. Um, and so to, you know, to think about those folks and to continue those relationships and the respect and, and ultimately to learn and have learned from those individuals. And, and I think the key, the other the key that I would say is the mentor-mentee relationship. It's also important that the mentee leans back in. It's, it can't be a one-way street. And, and I think, you know, both as a mentee and now mentoring, you know, a number of folks that are in the industry I've gotten probably more back from learning from those mentees. I think about a, a young leader like Sean Coiner, who's had an amazing career and, and is running product uh, for the Perform Group. Um, you know, Sean's work with me when we were at Sports Illustrated in terms of understanding social media and kind of the evolution as that was kind of burgeoning. I, I was not, you know, didn't grow up a native mobile or, or social individual but was able to learn from Sean and, and he was great about teaching and exposing me to things. And, and ultimately we, we had a, a wonderful mentor mentee relationship and he's gone on to great things on the inverse side, but I learned as much from him probably more so than he ever got from me. And so I do think as you think about your career, those mentor mentee relationship, it's not a one way street. It has to be collaborative and it, it has to be that, you know, you're willing to invest time to help somebody who, um, you know, over time may not be as exposed to things, you know, right now, I'm certainly learning in the um, kind of esports space, things that I don't necessarily understand from a relationships with, with Charles Dillahunt, who's on our team, who we have a mentor mentee relationship, and he's helping me to really understand the, the kind of underpinning of what's going on in esports. So incredibly powerful when it's a give and take, 
in those relationships. And those are the ones that will last over time. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting that you, you know, point out the esports and the social media side of things. Obviously you're in golf right now uh, with a, you know, heavy focus on the commercialization aspect. You were in the brands, you're in the league. And so you sit back and you think and you go, well, it's so important to know what's going on across every aspect of the industry, if possible, right? But it's probably pretty easy to do that when you just can pick up the phone and call one person kind of across, you know, each part of the landscape. You know, you spend time at Sports Illustrated in the media world. So as you think about the seat that you sit in now, um, it's almost going, okay, well, how do you how do you continue to grow where you're sitting? And that's just by learning through the mentors, mentees that you have, right? Yeah. And, and I would say there's a couple other things. It's exactly right, though. The, the mentors and the relationships you have ultimately with the mentees uh, are so incredibly rewarding. Um, but, but I'd also say that as you evaluate steps and opportunities in your career, um, you know, when, I, when we sold the Sporting News, uh, to perform and, and I had moved on and was doing some investing and looking at, at a couple of potential startups and, and two opportunities kind of came across my plate. One was with Facebook and their sports endeavor and the other was the PGA of America. And, you know, a lot of soul searching as to what was the right next step. And, you know, as successful as, as Facebook has been, you know, I'm so pleased and proud of having gone to the PGA of America and really thinking about that arc of a 20 something year career at that point, over 30 years now, um, you know, from all of the various roles I played, this commercial role was about our media relationships. It was about our partnerships, the brand, our PR and communications, our digital business. Um, it, it really was an opportunity to come to an amazing organization that has a tremendous mission that impacts so many lives with PGA professionals who, who make such an impact. And then having, you know, events like the Ryder Cup and the PGA Championship and the KPMG Women's PGA Championship as a part of the portfolio, um, it, it really ultimately, as you make decisions, um, you know, if, if you chase money in sports, uh, it can be a very kind of depressing career. But if you ultimately are mission-based and, and believe in the organizations that you're working with and that there's a, there's a higher calling to what you're doing, um, you know, the, the financial piece of it over time will, will hopefully work out. But at the end of the day, you know, do you wake up every day feeling incredibly energized, excited, and, and, and having, you know, a fulfilled career opportunity versus kind of just chasing the dollar. Uh, you know, I, I've certainly, from mentors and, and, and now working with mentees, talk about finding the right people to work with, the right organizations, the mission that aligns with what you believe in, um, and then going and trying to make that the best that you possibly can with the teams that you work with. If that's what motivates you, a career in sports can be incredibly powerful. If it's chasing money, I always say go to Wall Street and chase money. The, the day trading, the, all that sort of stuff, it's, that's, that's where the dollars are. Um, you know, as, as, as you mentioned, though, when you very first started out, like the ability to say no is so vitally important. And as you reflect on that decision and that process, and I'm sure you've had many other times where you've done that throughout your career, um, what's the one thing that you could give from an advice perspective to those, whether they're 
starting out, trying to get their foot in the door, whether they're in the middle of their career, et cetera, on really just how to say no. And that's a, that's a tough thing to learn how to do and to evolve from, from a skill set perspective. Yeah, so I, I would say the first is to be respectful and don't burn any bridges in saying no. But I think at the end of the day, if, if something doesn't fit, don't, don't make the mistake of saying yes, because either it's the only thing that's available or you're not quite sure how to navigate. I think at the end of the day, you know, from that very first discussion to the decision between, you know, thinking about Facebook or the PGA of America, does it, does it align against who you are, the mission, the, the, the focal point, the people you're going to be working with. And if you follow kind of your heart and your passion, um, it's, it's, it becomes relatively easy to say this probably isn't a great fit. And look, as, an, as, a, as someone who has to hire a lot of folks, I'd much rather hear somebody tell me that, you know, right before taking a job rather than six months into it. And then you got to start the whole process over again. So I, I think at the end of the day, you have to be thoughtful and really if you're going to say no, try not to burn bridges, but in doing so, um, you know, be able to look yourself in the mirror and feel good about the decision that you've ultimately made. No, that's, that's some great insights. And as we wrap up the episode, got to have a rapid fire for you. So let's uh, get at it, Jake. Here we go. Hopefully you're ready. All right. You played football. Uh, if you weren't a quarterback, what position would you play? Uh, I would have been a shooting guard in basketball. <laughs> Oh, so we're switching sports. Okay. I'm switching sports on you, Jake. Sorry. <laughs> so quarterback or bust, basically. Yeah, I, w- right. I actually played a season of wide receiver, and that's when I hurt my knee in college. So I, I would I would have shifted to point guard or shooting guard. <laughs> All right. So shooting guard, uh, favorite NBA team now that you had worked in the NBA for a while, uh, being an East Coaster as well. Yeah, that's an easy one. Uh, I'm a Boston guy through and through. We, we uh, made a nice run through the Eastern Conference Finals, but uh, go Celtics. <laughs> there you go. All right, so New Hampshire, growing up in New Hampshire, going to college in Maine, uh, then UMass, what is the best food on the East Coast, Northeast? Oh, best food in the Northeast? I'm going to have to go with a Maine-style lobster roll. I could have guessed that, but wasn't sure. Uh, last, last one for you. Uh, obviously, you're working in the golf golf part of the industry. Uh, if you, no matter what shot, what distance, what's your go-to club that you need to hit? Well, living in the world that Bryson's created, I'm going to just say my driver, <laughs> because you know clearly it, the old idea of drive for show, putt for dough has changed, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the driver, and then hopefully the putters putters working well as well. So w- one of those two, pr- probably the driver. All right, last question. For you, course that you haven't played that you'd love to go play. Oh, that's a that's a really really good one, and I'm going to end it with a very biased uh, statement, which is uh, the new courses at PJ Frisco, uh, but Gilhans East Course, Bo Wellings West Course. Uh, those are the two courses, along with the short course that are designing 10 holes under the lights. Uh, those are the three courses right now that I'm probably most excited to get to play once they're, uh, once they're ready to go, hopefully uh, in 22. That's awesome. Well, Jeff, appreciate your time. Thanks for your thoughts, insights, and 
Um, really appreciate it. Looking forward to having you on again in the near future. Yeah, enjoyed it. And uh, and Jake, good good luck for uh, for you and certainly thinking about Andy and everything going on out in California right now. Our, our thoughts and prayers with, uh, with everybody who's struggling, struggling through uh, the challenges that those fires are presenting. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it.